God is great and he can do all things. He can create life and he can love beyond comprehension. He can forgive beyond reason. He can weave the lowest points in a person's life into a beautiful outcome for many people. He can withstand the anger. He can withstand the ignorance and the selfishness of millions of his children. And he can continue to love and bless the world anyway. You see, our God is a great God and he can do all things. But he is horrible at social distancing. (laughs) You see, he wants to talk to you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to go with you everywhere you go. And he wants to be your friend. And as such, he wants to get in your face a little bit when you need a little straightening up. He wants to hold your hand in tough times. He wants to be the shoulder you cry on. He wants to be the other half of your high five when you celebrate and even wants to be present during your outbursts of pain, fear, and frustration. He wants to be near you so much that he gave a part of himself to be like us so that people could physically be near him and he could be near us. And his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, we're in a time when we cover our faces, we go one way down the aisles of Walmart and we forgo some of life cherished events like weddings and memorial service and graduations, even as we prayed about seeing your own spouse because you need to stay away from them for everybody's safety. So we have to keep our distance and keep people safe. But God calls us to reach out to others, doesn't he? To have fellowship and to show love to our neighbors and to share the truth and the reason for the hope that we have. And that is God's commandment in one of Jesus' last words spoken. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have to do that in person. You have to make contact. But God knows about the current pandemic and the responsible practice of social distancing. He knows that he gets it. And before that, he knew that people hesitate to be obedient to this commandment, right? We've always had a reason, all sorts of reasons. Lack of awareness, right? I I don't know what I should say. How about anxieties and inhibitions? I I don't want to do that. What if people reject me? What if they make fun of me? What What if they don't like me? Or to complete insubordination. Not my God, not my problem. We can think of a lot of reasons to not go, but what do we do? Well, the world has figured out how to get its pizza without getting too close, right? They have contactless pizza delivery. And the world has figured out how to do most anything without coming within six feet of another person. Surely we can accomplish this thing I'm calling contactless Christianity. You see, when Jesus started his ministry, it was just him. Well, and God, of course, because God's with us. But it was just Jesus. This one man with the limits of the era in which he lived changed the world forever. When I say the limits of the era, I'm reminding us that he had no car. Everywhere that Jesus went, it was usually on foot or or by boat. I'm not talking about the big boats you see on the lake, right? We're talking about a little thing with a a sail or, or paddles. That's it. He had no telephone. He had no, and that doesn't mean just for calls, right? You know, 20 years ago, if you didn't have a phone, you just couldn't make a call. But if you don't have a phone now, you know, you, you don't have immediate access to the internet or, or email or text or Facebook or YouTube, just to name a few of the things that we rely so heavily on, right? Do you remember that game you used to play? And it was like, if you were stuck on a desert island, what, what two things would you take with you? I mean, anybody else want to take their phone, right? I know you don't have internet, but you can still play some of your games, right? <laughs> Look through your old pictures. 
right? Isn't that, isn't that how it works? Yeah, I see smiles. I know. I know. Every word or thought that was heard from or about Jesus was word of mouth. That's the only way it could travel. If Jesus wanted to go somewhere, he walked. If Jesus wanted to talk to someone, he spoke to them. If Jesus wanted to share something with the world, he had to travel the world to do it. How many of us would put in that kind of physical effort for our faith? From scripture, and this is Luke 3.23, we know that Jesus was about 30 when he began his ministry. And, and that is about the age when a man would be, become a rabbi. And how long did he minister on earth? Well, we know from John 8.58 that he was not yet 40. That's really the only reference. But calculations based on historical events of the time support the notion that Jesus was about 33 when he was crucified. Three short years. Three years. Three years of speaking and teaching to individuals and small crowds and slowly traveling the region to take the message everywhere that he could. Words and lessons that are still studied today, thousands of years later. You know, it's very personal. He's still speaking to you. Right? He's still trying to teach you. And he is using the same tools that he used during those three short years. Right? He wants to spread the word. He needs to share it. He needs to multiply the message. There's an expression, good news travels fast. Actually, the, when I was researching it, the original expression was bad news travels fast. But we say good news travels fast too. And sometimes maybe with a little sarcasm, something bad happens and you're embarrassed. <laughs> You know, so everybody knows. The truth is that news only travels as fast as people can or will share it. News certainly travels fast now, right? In this modern world, it's conceivable. I could say something funny right now. It's possible. <laughs> that might have been it. <laughs> I could say the funniest thing you ever heard, and thanks to the power of the web and a couple people who are back there saying, you should hear what he said. I could go to the gas station you know, up the street, and someone would say, aren't you the guy that said that funny thing? I mean, it's unlikely, but it's possible. Jesus was able to minister the world because good news, the good news, was shared mouth to ear, person to person, generation to generation. Jesus knew the key to a ministry that wouldn't stop when he stopped was to multiply it, to multiply his ministry, or rather, multiply his ministers. We know that he had a core group, the 12 disciples that traveled with him. And these were more than companions. These were more than his buddies. And there were more than just the 12 that traveled with him. But we certainly know about the 12 disciples. And they're just not an entourage of fans. He had handpicked them to go with him and learn from him. The story of each one of those is a, is a wonderful, miraculous story of people he plucked from various places doing various things. And when Jesus' time on earth was done, what did he say to them? He said, now it's on you. I'm paraphrasing. It's on you. You go and you do what I did. Go and speak and teach and travel and teach others to do the same. Go and make disciples of all nations is what it says. But Jesus said, go and multiply yourselves. Grow the ministry. Just like our little community, Jesus' disciples were different from each other. Different upbringings, different personalities, different talents and skills. Jesus was able to use this diverse group to share the message of God's unending love and mercy, to share their personal stories of faith, and to spread the good news of the resurrection and forgiveness of sins, and to establish his church, this body of believers that we are a part of. This past Wednesday evening, we began a, a multi-part study based on the book, Becoming a Contagious Christian. And this is a study of how we can and should be become an ongoing part of Jesus' ministry. And I want to remind you that that online study is open to everyone. 
And this morning, during our regular Sunday morning Bible study time, we did a quick questionnaire and discovered our evangelistic style. Now, I don't like the word evangelistic. I mean, I know it's a, a good word and used in the right way. I always think of those charismatic, you know, we talked about this on Wednesday night. What do you think of when you think of evangelist? And, and we had some really good, actual good answers. And I always go to the bakers for some reason. That's what I think of. But evangelism is sharing your faith, making a difference. And we talked about our evangelistic style and equally important, how we can use our unique style to be an ongoing part of Jesus's ministry. I won't pick on anybody, but does anybody want to share a little bit of what they learned this morning? You know I'm going to look at you, Donna, so I am going to pick on you. Pick on me. <laughs> I, I really feel bad about that. <laughs> we, we found that several people were interpersonal was kind of their thing, you know, and, and it probably wouldn't surprise you. And, and some of the other things were, you know, a testimonial style. You know, I like to tell my story. There were a lot that were serving. You know, I like to show love or, or faith by, by doing things for people. There were some that were a little more direct, you know, maybe not so confrontational and, and, and stuff, but they were direct. They were they're direct in how they deal with things and how they think about things. And there are other options. And so if you want to see where you are, it's, it's a questionnaire. It's not a test. And that's the quickest way to kill a Sunday morning Bible study is to hand a 35-question test, you know. But it was interesting. And we, we saw how much similarities we had. But we also saw some of the differences we have. We also saw the differences in how they can be used in a similar way for a similar goal. Now, the book that we're using as the basis for the study is titled Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's an unfortunate name considering the current world crisis. So I thought it would be equally appropriate to be contactless Christianity. Jesus' teachings are shared today without his physical presence. Jesus is with us. He is. But he's not standing next to me in the physical presence. When, when God speaks to you, it's not as if he appears in the flesh to have a conversation with you. You know, what do you think? Would it be easier if he did? I mean, maybe, but sometimes wouldn't it be a little uneasy because like, eh, I really shouldn't be doing this or talking this way or whatever. But, but, but movies like Oh God, do you remember the Oh God movies with George Burns? You know, he played God and, and he was God in the flesh and more modern versions like Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty portray God as a man that you can walk with and talk with and interact with as if he were your best friend. How cool is that? But why do we try to make God like us? God looks like George Burns or Morgan Freeman or whoever it may be, when we should be trying to be more like him. Why do we take comfort in God standing next to us in the flesh when there's more comfort found in knowing that he is everywhere? And why do we think the story of our salvation ended but needs to be told when the truth is that the story of salvation is still being written today and you are a part of it? You know, the Bible may be written to its conclusion, but the story of salvation is not just what's in this book. And these aren't new questions. They aren't. Listen, listen to Jesus' own words beginning in John 6, 28. It says, when they asked him, what must we do? Uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? What must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and as written, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, if not Moses, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they asked, Always give us this bread. It's fair, right? We, we want this blessing. Give it to all the time. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. There's comfort in that. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Jesus came to do God's work, and that work is to save us. And he says, I like that. He says, I shall not lose any of them that have been given to me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, Peter shared this teaching, and this is found in Acts 2. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Then the people heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I mean, here is the Savior, but now he's gone. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to the number. 3,000 were saved by the gift of grace and by hearing the word. Jesus was still ministering, but through Peter in this case, Jesus was still connecting with people, but it is this contactless Christianity made possible by Peter's obedience to go that created the space for God to do his good work. Listen to other examples in the Bible. Luke 18, 18, a ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 10, 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Acts 16, 30, and after he brought them out, he says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Acts twenty two ten. What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go into Damascus. People want to know what they have to do. Matthew nineteen sixteen. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? It goes on and on. I have two or three more even. We just want to know what it is. But are we making that, you know, our goal? Okay, I've done the one thing I need to do. Because that is like, that's where I stop? Or is that the bare minimum? What is the bare minimum I need to do? And I don't mean because I want to do that and quit, but because that's where it starts. Maybe someone will ask you that question. What do I need to do to get into heaven? Right? And sometimes you may even ask that yourself. Even though you know the truth, you might say, with all this going on, with all that I'm dealing with, the way I'm acting or thinking or whatever, I'm just in a bad place right now, how am I going to get into heaven? Are you prepared to answer that for others or for yourself? But more likely, you may be asked an indirect question about the hope that you have. Are you prepared to answer that? The question may be more soft. It may not even use the word hope or heaven or church or God. You know? 
you'll know it when you hear it. That's my prayer. This morning, scripture remembers from Romans 10, 14 through 15. Connie read, it says, how then can they call on the one that I have not, they have not believed in, right? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Do you get that? It starts with the go. How can they call on the one if no one's even told them? And it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. For you literal thinkers, and I know some because we talked about that this morning, it does not create a miraculous transformation of the feet. No. We are not going to become the church of beautiful feet. Thank you. That was a stretch. The scripture reminds us that God delights in our efforts to be part of Jesus' ministry. Okay? He's saying how beautiful are the feet. How wonderful are the people who go and do. How will he bless you and others through you? Won't you allow him to do this? You know, a moment ago, I kind of went through a partial list of, of the questions. What must I do? And none of the people who asked the question about salvation knew what you know today. That God loves you. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. And stands ready to forgive you of all of your sins. You only need to ask. Jesus wants to be your advocate with the Heavenly Father. More importantly, he wants to be your friend. He wants to be able to honestly say, I knew that guy. Or I talked to and heard from that girl regularly. Do you know him? Can you say that about you? If not, let's talk. That's what this church is. It's about connecting people with Christ. It's about growing our relationship, coming alongside other people and encouraging regardless of where they're at on this walk. So if you need to talk to somebody today, let's talk. Let's talk about what that means to know Jesus, to have a relationship with him. And I want to tell you, Scripture tells us there's a time for every season, right? Even for the season of ministry, you're always to be prepared. But there are times when, when you may be out of season. I want to offer you some assurances if you're thinking that this morning. God loves you and he is in control. Okay, whatever it is that, that has you needing to take a break from whatever area of ministry or service, just to, to work on you. That's okay. God loves you and he's in control. And next week we're going to talk about times when we need to be on the receiving end and not the giving end of ministry. And this is a positive message of truth and hope. And I hope you'll join us. So let me say this again. God is great and he can do all things. He can create life. He can love beyond comprehension. He can forgive beyond reason. And he can weave the lowest point in a person's life into a beautiful outcome for many people. He can withstand the anger, ignorance, and selfishness of millions of his children. And he can continue to love and bless the world anyway. So yes, our God is a great God and can do all things. And he is horrible at social distancing. But we can help connect ourselves and others to him with some divinely inspired and orchestrated opportunities. So let's do our part and make room for God to do what he will do. Let's pray. Father God, in a world where we're told that we need to stay apart for our health and safety, Lord, we need to draw closer to you for that very same reason. 
God, you call and you tell us to, to go and to do and to connect and relate to people and relate them to you. But how do we do this when we often can't or shouldn't be that close to someone? Lord, how do we do this when, when inside of us we just so terrified that we'll say the wrong thing or, or hurt a feeling or, or alienate a friend? God, let us follow the example of Jesus who thousands of years later is still contacting, communicating, and connecting with people, even though not in person. Lord, we have so many ways to share the truth, and probably none greater than by our own example. For it is by Jesus' example that we learn so much, not just the words that he spoke, but the way that he lived. Lord, let us live in a way that reflects you, So people want to lean a little closer and see what's going on. And maybe, just maybe, they ask that question that we can answer. Father God, I give this service to you. This message, may we be changed for what we've heard this morning. Maybe we be changed on the inside for what may be revealed to us as we are worshiping you for this past hour. God, we want nothing more than that relationship with you. And we know that you're going to be as excited to have us in heaven with you as we are to be there. And that brings us joy. Father God, again, I thank you for this church, this safe and comfortable place to gather with friends, like-minded people with diverse backgrounds and upbringings and thoughts and, and all kinds of stuff, but with a couple things in common. You created us, you love us, and we love you. Let us go forth. As you said, just go. Amen.